Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of July 17th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, haven't we looked at 2 Corinthians 5 before? Yes, is the short answer. As we are wrapping up our two months in the series on what is the church, we're going to find ourselves in a passage that we've looked at a couple of times here. In fact, it's a bit of a theme verse for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in particular verse 15. I want to read just this one verse for you as we start this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he, that is Christ, died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, on their behalf. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, as we come to a time of looking into your word, would you, through the power of your Spirit, through the power of the risen Christ, teach us and speak to us and show us who you are and what you called us to be as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each and every week has gifts, and each and every day has things that God does and shows and reveals to us, and most of those are things that we may not have anticipated, even this past week. Is, and by the way, thank you, Angel and I, we were able to take the week off, and, and Ben and Cheyenne are now living in Louisville, Kentucky, or residents of that area. And we were driving back, and uh, I think it was on Friday, we got to see something you don't normally see just every day. We saw a guy hanging out with a monkey at a gas stop. How many of y'all have seen that recently? Hanging out there, you, you have? Okay. Where are you going to Atlanta? Is that, that was Colorado. Well, you know, so on Friday, we're just, we go to a, a, a chain truck stop, and there, right by the door, guy hanging out, monkey on his shoulder. A monkey wearing a diaper on his shoulder. Well, if you're going to have a monkey on his shoulder, you know, you got to take some precautions, right? <laughs> now, you, you just, you know, I know that's silly, but you, you just never know, right? Oh, look, a monkey. Didn't even go to the, what do you plan on going to the zoo today? Yeah, yeah, just things you just never know. Small things like that. God does, gives you little gifts. Each and every day is something different. That's the point I'm trying to make. God gives us some gifts. He provides some things for us, and at the first and foremost is simply the gift of life, the ability to get up each and every morning and, and see what God has in store for you that day, to breathe, to, to see the adventure that is that day. Now, as we have been gathering over the last two months and talking about the, the gift of the church, what is it that God has called us to be? What is it that God is, is, is doing, is intending to do through this thing that we call the church? We've been looking at a number of different things. But as it begins, I want to call our attention this point to where it all starts, this idea of the church. And it begins with this phrase in verse 15, He, that is Jesus, died for all. That's where it begins. The entirety of the church, that is the gathered people of God, rests on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It rests on His death, His resurrection. Everything else falls apart if not for that. The reason you and I are here this morning is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
We've talked over the last two months about all that we are and all that we may do as a church. But it begins with this, his death. And now, by the way, it can be easy, it can be tempting to make the church about a great many things. Some, without perhaps even intending for it to be that way, can make the church into a morality club. Maybe a social organization, a community gathering center. Some feel the church ought to be a political group. Some, uh, a family, extended family, or, or simply a fill-in-the-blank, something-in-common group. A church can be a place, and I hope that it is, a place to be comfortable in an uncomfortable world, a place to be accepted and loved when perhaps maybe others aren't as accepting as loving. A church can be a place where we meet friends, sing the same songs, eat donuts and drink coffee, find those who or just like us, perhaps. And I'm not trying to bash that. I'm not trying to dismiss that this morning. It's just that those things, as nice as they may well be, are not what we are about. They aren't the core of what we are. We are a people founded and gathered on this idea, this truth, that Jesus Christ died on a cross and on the third day afterwards came back to life. That's it. That's why we gather together. That's what we are about. A church that's simply a gathering place for those that like to hang out together, that's a social club or a political organization or just a feel-good group of people, a church that's merely that, is a church that will have little importance, has no impact on eternity, and really doesn't have a purpose. If that's all we are, then we're not much. But you and I have been given something more than that. You and I are gathered together for a much greater reason than that. We are gathered together and united together because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the meaning and the purpose of all that we do. It's why we sing. It's why we meet. It's why we gather together. It's why we share fellowship. It's why we come together and take part of the Lord's Supper like we did last week. It's why we study the Scriptures together. It's why we bother... Uh, putting money into a place to meet, to invite people to, to do ministry, to do mission trips. The resurrection and death of Christ is the end and the beginning and everything in, the, in, in between for why we do all those things. That's why we gather together. And if we lose sight of that and begin to focus on the other things, as nice as they may well be, we will lose the very power and the reason we are together. So it begins with this, he died for all, so that, so as a result of, or because of, or now, he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Guess who the they who live are? It's us. That's exactly right. If you this morning have placed your trust, your faith, your life in the hands of the, of the Christ who died and rose back to life, if that is you this morning, you are those who live. That's the church. Again, we spent two months talking about who we are and what we are as a church. We are, though, at core, those who are alive, born again. We see, we know, we exist and have life in a way that those who do not know Christ can't. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul is describing in, in a letter to the church in Ephesus, he's describing to them this contrast of being alive versus being dead spiritually. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you, speaking to the church, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are those who have been born again, as Jesus says in John 3, who have been raised to new life through Christ, as in Ephesians chapter 4, or chapter 2. He says we are dead in our sins. That means we were unresponsive, not moving, not active, but to be made alive, to be brought to life, to be born again means that you are now responsive and active. It means that when you hear the Word of God, your soul responds. It means that when God acts, you recognize it and see it. It means that when God does things in us and through us, we know what's happening because we are spiritually alive. We get up and we move. We're obedient. We're even made righteous. We're growing all the traits of living creatures, spiritually alive. That's us. Different and unique in all the world because we are those who are alive. Now, what this looks like is all we've talked about over the last two months. We are first and foremost uh, those who are made alive. We are a people of faith. That is, we have placed our faith, our belief, and trust, if you will, in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That means we've taken him at his word. It was when he said he was the son of God, we believed him. It says that when we trust in him, we give him our life, we repent, when we do these things, that he saves us. We take him at his word that he's going to resurrect us. We've chosen to believe. So we are a people with a shared faith. You and I, as we are gathered this morning, we are gathered in part because we are a group of people throughout history who have chosen to take Jesus at his word. We have believed him. We, have our, we are a people of a shared faith, a shared belief. We are also a people of a shared fellowship. That is, a shared connection, a shared life, a bond based upon nothing else. Not based upon being from the same culture, from the same country, or speaking the same language. We are people bonded together, not because we have the same hobbies or the same political affiliation. We are people bonded together not because of any other hobby or interest we may share. We are people who are bonded together not by nationality or culture or heritage. We are people bonded together by the fact that Christ has died and resurrected and we have resurrection coming. That's what binds us together. That's why we as Christians can go anywhere in Arkansas, anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world for that matter, and have more in common, have a closer bond with someone who speaks a different language and looks different than us than we do with someone down the, down the road who doesn't know Christ. 
because those are the people that we will be spending eternity with. Those are the people that we share the life of Christ with. You and I as a church, a local church, are people bonded together not by all this other stuff, but by the death and the resurrection of Christ. We are a people of shared worship. Because we have taken Jesus at his word, because we have, we have responded in faith to him, we have a connection with one another, and as a result, that we come before the Lord and we worship. That is, we respond, we react to all that he has said and all that he has done. Those who do not know Christ, who do not have spiritual life, they cannot worship God. Now, can they sing? Yes. Can they feel emotional? Absolutely. Can they worship? No. At least not in the same way those who are alive worship. You've got to be spiritually alive to really worship. Because worship, again, is a response. It's a reaction to who God is. If you're dead, can you respond? Of course not. So as those who are spiritually alive, we have a shared faith, a shared fellowship, a people, a shared worship. We are a people who share the fact that Jesus Christ and God is crafting and molding and shaping us into the lives that he created us for. He's making us into the image of God. He's making us into the image of Christ. The one who shaped and formed us while we were yet unborn in the womb, who knows us better than we know ourselves, is now shaping us into the men and women that he created us to be. We are a people committed to one another, to help one another, to love one another, to weep with one another, to laugh with one another, to live with one another in a world of people who are not alive. And people that know that being separated from God's people is a harmful thing. We are those who desire to live out the gospel in our relationships with other believers. To love and to be loved, to forgive and to be forgiven to encourage and be encouraged, to challenge and be challenged. We are people brought together in ways that God has designed. We have been given servants and leadership and gifts. We have been united in a body, and we are those who have been identified with Christ through things like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those things mark us as those who belong to Jesus. We've talked about all these things over the last two months. And we have these things in common because we are a people who are alive. They who are alive. A spiritual rebirth. Jesus spoke to, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and says that we must be born again. In fact, let me, I, I know many of you probably have a chunk of that chapter, at least a couple of verses, memorized. Jesus talking to Nic Nicodemus that night and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered and said, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Guess what we are as those who are made alive? We have been born in the Spirit, born again. Paul talks about how what that means for us is that even though you and I will at one point physically die, as Christ even died on the cross, we will in fact be resurrected as Christ was resurrected. Now for those of us here this morning, that has not happened yet. But we know it will happen. 
That's why we gather together. It's something you and I share in common. A spiritual life that cannot be defeated or destroyed by physical death, but in fact a spiritual life that will overcome physical death and resurrect us. We are those people made alive in that way. It says here that he died for all so that they who live, that's us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Some people live for moments. Maybe you can remember some of those moments in your life that you think of that really stand out. Maybe a, a birth of a child. Maybe some place you got to go, some sight you saw, some, some great experience that you had that you can go back and you can relive and you can imagine what it was like to be in that moment. You, some people live for moments. That's all they want to do. They want to experience moments. Some people live for titles or maybe money or respect or things they believe those other things will provide. Some people live for prestige. Let me just ask a question here this morning. What is it right now this morning that you live for? I want you to think about this for a moment. What is it you live for? And let me ask you this is a question. If you're not sure, how would you know? If I asked the question about the people, if I asked that question about you to the people around you, if I asked your family members, if I asked the people you work with or live around, if I asked them, what do they live for? What, what do you live for? What would they come up with? What would they look at? What would they do to understand what it is that you live for? How would they know? What things would they use to determine the answer to that question? He says here in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5, as a church, as those who have been risen, uh, those who have been given life through Christ, that we now no longer live for ourselves, or I can parentheses anything else around us, but now live on behalf of Him who has saved us, who has resurrected us. See, to... Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5 that, that as part of this new life, this verse 17 is a, a really well-known verse. Those talks about speaking a new creature. The old things have gone, the new things have come. As part of all this, he says that, verse 16, that we will no longer recognize or see anyone according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. We now know him in this way no longer. In other words, we're going to recognize and see people spiritually speaking. We no longer see those around us. You know, even as we look around the room this morning, as you watch online, we no longer as those who have this new life, this rebirth. We no longer look at the people around us, whether believers or unbelievers. We no longer see them merely through fleshly eyes. Now, there are, there are certain things we can only see. I, the reality is if I've seen you this morning, I'm looking at you right now with flesh of the eyes, those of you here in the room. I can, I can see what color your hair is. I can see roughly how tall you are. I can see whether you're asleep or not. I can see, I can see you. I, I can see certain things about you. I recognize you. I see whether you're wearing glasses or have a haircut or what. I can see those things with my flesh of the eyes, and those are useful. But as a believer in Christ, as, those who, as one who has now been given a new life, who has been reborn, 
our vision, our understanding of those around us is not limited by what we fleshly see with our eyes. So as I see you, as I see someone at Walmart, as I see someone wherever I might be, I am no longer at this point in time limited in my vision of them. I see them and understand who they are, not simply limited to how tall they are, what color their hair is, but I see them as spiritual eyes. And Brett, you may be thinking to myself, you may be thinking, what? Now, that doesn't mean that I can walk down the aisle of Walmart and know everyone's intimate thoughts. It doesn't, I don't have that power. That's not what I'm talking about. It does mean this, that I understand who people are according to Scripture, and I see them as God sees them. Whether it be Christ himself, whether it's the Apostle Paul, whether it's each other, or whether it's someone who doesn't know the Lord, a neighbor, whoever it might be, that I see them with spiritual eyes. I see each other, we see each other through spiritual eyes, and then, being those who are alive spiritually, we re- respond, we react to what we see in a spiritual sense, because that's what we are now. So if I'm walking down the road, and I see, or I'm walking in the store, and I see someone acting this, or saying this, or doing that, or whatever it might be, and my first response is to see them merely through fleshly eyes. Maybe what they're saying or doing can make me mad. Maybe what they're saying or doing makes me uncomfortable. Maybe what they're saying or doing uh, irritates me and needles me and kind of wants me to... Uh, uh. There's an infinite number of possibilities there. But if I see them through spiritual eyes, I might see something different. I might see someone before me who's spiritually dead. I might see someone before me who doesn't or is incapable of on their own, responding to spiritual things, responding to truth. I may see someone in front of me who's lost, who's blind, all those things from a spiritual point of view. And so as I see that, I might respond differently than I would have otherwise if I only saw through my fleshly eyes. Maybe even as we gather together on a Sunday morning, as I'm gathered with other believers in a time of worship like we're in right now or in a time of of Bible study like we were in last hour, Maybe I see other believers, and the truth is, believers could irritate one another too. And maybe if I see somebody next to me with only fleshly eyes, I respond poorly, but if I see someone, even another believer with spiritual eyes, I respond differently. This is what the heart of what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians. How we live, how we see and exist We have spiritual lives, and we no longer can see people. We no longer can react only with our fleshly eyes, but we must now see with spiritual eyes. This life that we have now, this life life that's been given through Christ, who died for all so that they who live, is lived so that we might no longer live for ourselves. Elsewhere, Paul will say that we are being created for good works. We are made in His image, not for ourselves. As surely as all creation, from the stars to the starfish, from the minuscule to the massive, surely this creation points to God, so should our lives. We are to be living demonstrations of who He is and pointing creation to Him. Now, by the way, living, says He died for also they who live, is not done one day a week. You and I, in the course of our lives, just, let's just take this, 
as obvious examples as it is, when we live, as we, we just have life, we get up and we breathe and we walk and we eat and all those things we do in a normal day, you don't do that for two hours a week and sleep the other, I forget how many hours there are in a week, I should have, I should have researched that, but you're not just awake for two hours a week, are you? Now, sometimes you may wish you were. So when we're alive throughout the course of the week, that means we live every day, doesn't it? It means every day you're getting up. Every day you're breathing. Every day you're getting something to eat. Every day you're moving. Now, maybe it may not be much, but every day you're doing all these things. You're living day by day. As those who have spiritual life, guess what that means for us? It means we're not living two hours a week spiritually. It means that you and I are alive every moment of every day. That means that, yes, on Sunday, but it also means Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are spiritually alive every day of the week. That means every day of the week. As long as I am spiritually alive, I am living on behalf of Him who died for me. So that means tomorrow morning, whatever your schedule may be, whether it's going to work, whether you go to the store, whatever it might be, that you do those things spiritually alive. That while you're at work, you are at work seeing those you work with, accomplishing your work, doing those things with spiritual eyes, responding to the work of God in your life tomorrow with a spiritual life. So that as you work, as the things you do physically, the things you do at lunch, the shopping, all those things, you do them with spiritual life. You are alive on a daily basis, not just a couple hours a week as we gather together on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. While some of the things that we as a church do are, in fact, done in this unique time that we're gathered together on a Sunday morning, they are by no means limited to that. In fact, they're often most powerfully done when we're not gathered together. Our worship is unique on Sunday. But we worship every day, hopefully, as we respond to who God is and what God has done. It doesn't mean that we're going to get up and sing Standing on the Promises on Tuesday morning while you're at work, and yet we still worship when we respond to who God is at work. Our faith is unique, but it affects how we work, how we act at work. It affects our relationship with our neighbors. Our good deeds are, are most are most good when they point to Jesus and not to ourselves. Our commitment to one another is seen on days like today, but it's also powerfully seen on Monday and Thursday and Friday when we are committed to one another, to helping one another, and to being there for one another, to praying for one another, to sharing our needs and our laughter and even our tears. See, when we pray together, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Friday and Saturday. When we intercede for those around us. Sunday is not even the only day, these, Sunday is not the only day all these things happen. In fact, here's the truth. If we're not worshiping Monday through Saturday, if we're not praying Monday through Saturday, if we're not living spiritually alive Monday through Saturday, odds are we're not doing it this morning either. Let me just be blunt about that. Let me say that again. If you're not praying on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, if you're not in your Word, in the Word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you're not worshiping those other six days of the week, if you're not living spiritually alive those other six days of the week, odds are you're just pretending today and not really doing them either today. This is not the day or the gathering when you do those things only. 
It's when you do them as a culmination and a celebration of all that you've been doing the previous six days. So, here's the question again. How can I live for Him today? How can we, you and I, exist as a church and live for Him today and this week? Failing to live for Christ is not just seen as someone who maybe doesn't like the songs they're sung or Sunday school class wasn't good enough or it was too hot or too cold. By the way, even if it's too warm for you in here right now, it's better than it is outside. <laughs> it, it's, it, when I live out in word and action something that reflects the character of Jesus, now I am living on behalf of Him. When my life reflects and looks like the character of Christ, the image of God, now I'm living on behalf of Him who died for me. When your life looks like in such a way that somebody could say, you know what? I read the Gospel of Matthew. Your life looks a lot like Him. Then we're living for Christ. That's what it means. A life lived for itself is not truly lived. A church that lives for itself is not alive. A church living and being for Christ knows a life like no other. Living for Him means that we adopt His viewpoint of ourselves and of our lives and of this world, the viewpoint that belongs to Christ. It means that we see truth where the world sees only a mystery or even a lie. It means that we see the substance when the world sees only a shadow. We know what it's like to see shadows. We've had plenty of sunshine the last few weeks, haven't we? And when you see a shadow, a shadow might, depending on your angle, it might look like the reality, but it also might be distorted. Something that's this big can look like it's this big. A shadow can, can give you a hint of what's there, but it can be distorted or misshapen or in some way uh, not quite accurate. The world sees at best, perhaps, a shadow of heavenly things, but you and I, as those who are spiritual alive, can see the reality and then be a part of making that reality known to those around us. It's a tragedy when Christians, knowing the substance of the truth behind the shadows, live in the same way as those who don't. Live on behalf of Him who died and rose again. I want to invite you this morning to simply this. As those who, I'm, and I'm, I'm assuming for the most part that most of those who are gathered this morning, maybe perhaps even most of those who are listening online this morning, would say that they've given their life, they've responded to, to Christ in faith. That is, you would say this morning, perhaps most of you, that I take Jesus at His word. I believe Him. I believe He came, that He is the Son of God, that He died on my behalf, and that He rose back to life. You would say, I, I believe that this morning. I've trusted Him. And if that's the case, then you have now a spiritual life that's unlike anything else in this world. And my invitation to you is simply this. Live on His behalf. Live. Be alive 
on his behalf.